Welcome to the E6 Podcast. The E6 Podcast is a place for candid conversations from Colonial Church, where we will dive deeper into what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives as Christ followers. All right, everybody, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Brooke, and I got some people here with me. Woohoo! Glad to be back. Wow. That was Lauren. Woohoo. He has a name. Hey, um, I'm not at Olive Garden. Tanner's not at Olive Garden. Hey, that's right. We're going to rule out all the places we're not. <laughs> yeah, not at Olive Garden. So that's a yes. good thing. Well, we're glad to have you from the start this time. <laughs> hey, and uh, just got to say, I got a lot of pushback. Uh, really sorry I didn't bring breadsticks for you. Yeah, guys. that's right. It was yeah. the breadsticks. It wasn't fault. about like missing it or not being here. Um, it's just like the breadsticks. Like, no, why didn't I you want have those again in the moment? You just brought up Olive Garden breadsticks. I'm sorry. They're so good. My Ooh. bad, guys. Again, Ooh. though, I'm really glad you didn't. Like, I'm doing a keto diet type thing, and that would have been really annoying yeah. to smell for Ooh. the entire time we mm. were in here. Yeah, that would not have been cool. Yeah. So, how's your week, guys? It's been it, well, just starting. Uh, it's been good. Uh, yeah. I some people people don't know this. We were just talking about this, uh, or really praying over this uh, before we get started this conversation. But like, I really enjoy like the slow uh, begin to our Mondays hmm. that we are afforded. Um, got to go to one of my favorite coffee shops in town, Collective. That's your favorite coffee. already. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I have good friends over there. Um, um, some of the owners. Um, uh, Ryan Roberts, uh, good friend of mine, mm-hmm. and it's it's like really good coffee. So we got to meet there today. Yeah, and now I've got a coffee cup in front of me, it's which funny, was my, was, my to go coffee. I was looking around the room, and at one point, I had uh, two people from our old small group and three neighbors, <laughs> all in, in that same j- spot, just, yeah. just in there, not counting us. Like, right, n- n- nothing to do with us. It was yeah. just the people, the people that were there. Was yeah. Like, oh. I know all of these people. Yeah, you do hit on something though, Tanner. Uh, you know, every vocation has a different rhythm. Different employers have different expectations of their people, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know what pastors do during the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and so now we've told them. Yes, but Coffee shop. you know what? There, there's. It's a mixed bag. I'll, 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 I'll just point out for folks that are clueless about the life of a pastor, it's weird hours. It's yeah. nights and weekends. Yeah. It's holidays when p- other people are off. But all at the same time, we have a lot of freedom on a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. To um, I, got to, I got to be at my first meeting at 9 a.m. Um, I think you joked earlier, Brooke, you wish nothing happened before I don't, 10. I don't believe anything should ever happen I'm prior with to 10 a.m. I'm with you completely. <laughs> ever. My work day would be like 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. if I could... If I could kind of no, shift, that's not my work day. That's when I should get out of bed. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like my kids shouldn't be awake. We shouldn't be going to school. <laughs> see, like, there should be nothing that happens. That's why some today. people are entrepreneurs. That's why some people, you know, um, are lazy beach bums. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you? That's, yes, that's, that's me. You. I'm not yeah, an yeah. entrepreneur. I don't want to get up early and <laughs> like hit hilarious. the grind. I have a I have a buddy that that uh, I used to work with that that his saying is up and killing it. Shout out to Nick. Uh, up, up and, and killing, killing it. it. I have never, <laughs> ever in my life been up and killing it that early in the morning. Like, it's not a We're thing. We're probably the wrong trio to talk about up and killing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, no joke. 
Um, need, although we, I will we need say Jordan and Ron, man. That's right. Yes, there yes. you go. There's there's up and killing it. Right I will there. say this, like I'm thinking about, you know, we're we're in like step three or four next week of working on our at the movies plans for later Ooh, this summer. Yeah. And I already can envision this. It's gonna be eleven, eleven thirty, twelve o'clock at night, and we are gonna be up and killing it. Up and, and killing right. it. We will yeah. still be still up, up and killing, and killing yeah. it. That's right. <laughs> That's gonna be the new thing now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the movies twenty twenty one up and killing it. That's right. Uh he'd be so he'd be so happy that his phrase is still going on. That's um, awesome. So okay, so we, we did this a couple weeks ago and I wanted to uh apparently make some noise. I wanted to ask you guys a question. Uh, I got a couple of questions. I saw that um this is the fortieth anniversary of MTV. MTV, wow. You may be, Lauren, you may be a little old for MTV. Um, I basically grew up on on the tail end of of the the, the, the huge popularity. I was in college. Were you in the, you were in the, when it was like music video craze and that was about it, right? Uh, I was at the very beginning of like the real world. Okay. Like all of those crazy, like like the beginning of all that. But it it was still, there was still a lot of of music videos. And what was it? uh, um, What was the countdown? Um, the music, like the what was his name, Carson Daly? Oh, Carson Daly, Daly. Yeah, yeah, total, yeah. Total, no. Total Request Live. Yes, Total Request yes. Live. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, in light of Total Request Live from the uh, from the old guy in the room that remembered that, I have a couple of music questions that I'm curious about. So, okay. Um, I, I want to know what is your number one song played on your on your phone or whatever this month? Not this all m- time because that that could get insane. But this month, what are you listening to? All the time, because uh, I I do that. I go on repeat. Like I'm like, man, I oh, this I, song is yeah. Right, you this song up, is getting me. So I'm 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 just digging the song. Yeah. Well, I'm looking right now because um, <laughs> I can tell you mine. Go. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for some reason, it just jumped right out to me. Uh, Who am I by Need to Breathe? Just okay. stuck in my head, playing it way too often. There's a new version with uh, I forgot her name, but they brought in a female artist, mm-hmm. and uh, so I've got that one on there now. Okay. Love me some need to breathe. Man, what was the need? There's a there's a need to breathe song. Um, like I know like one need to breathe song, and but it was it was one of those that was like this is so good, they can't possibly in my head couldn't live up to this. So I'm gonna stick with this one song. Except for they've just had album after album of greatness. Dude, Maybe so. It's so good. Maybe You're missing so. out. Need to breathe. Need to breathe. So breathe. Is, I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna have to look it up now. They're my top remember. top three bands for sure. All right, Tanner, go. Uh, Burden by Foy Vance. Burden. Okay. Is Foy Vance that like uh, singer songwriter mm-hmm. country type? Yes, almost. Con- yeah, he's like Irish, but um, oh, okay. But it's like, ugh, burden. Um, yeah, love it. Get you back on a high <laughs> when you're feeling low. Let me carry your burden. Oh, come to me, my brother, and I, I will that. sit with I you a you, while. I think you actually played it at my house on the back porch. When Dude, we were there. it's like it's. Um, it is the song illustrates everything I want from community, mm. which is I I love it, That's and it's cool. it's now I will say don't go like this is not a song you're gonna go jam to, but I would suggest everybody go listen to this song because, um, dang it's good it's such a good like he's such a good songwriter okay yeah what about you Brooke um so I, I'm I I was trying to look up uh, the need to breathe song that I that I know and love and slumber. No, I I don't know. It's like it has like a has like a bluesy swing to it, um, and that's all I can remember. Do you remember like what album it was off of? No, I don't have a clue. I don't know any of their albums. Oh, okay, I've no. listened to like one of their songs ever. Um, 
There's, uh, let's see, I've, I have been listening um, to Maverick City on repeat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so Gyra, the new song that just Oof, came out. That's brand new. Like, that's is, Elevation too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and that's so good. But uh, Acercame is the song that they just put out on their Spanish on album. On their Spanish stuff, yeah. yeah, dude. Dude, that song is Dude, what a killer album. so good, That man. Spanish album is... The whole is, album is Spanish? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's like just it's Spanish worship, and it's like, oh. Yeah, and it's so good, and it's it's so it's so it's like it's interesting because it's very much in the same kind of um, style that that we are a com- you know that we're used to. Yeah. Um, except they are like, hey, let's have Spanish worship leaders. Let's have Spanish songs. Like they there's there's a yeah. couple of them that are like a, a redo of another song that's in Spanish now, but the other yeah. ones are just it's a it's a. It's a song that they wrote, and it just happens to be in Spanish. Yep. And then I, I like tried to Google the lyrics for one of them, and it was like, "Here's all the English lyrics." I was like, "Yeah, I get that," but I'm trying to read the Spanish lyrics. So like, that's, yeah. All right. So that's that's what that's that's what I've got going on. So what was the first concert you ever went to? Ooh. First concert you ever went to? Not your favorite. No. Yeah. The first one. Oh, this is. Can so, you think this that is, far back? This is so typical. Tanner, can you remember two years ago totally your date. first concert Aww. ever? <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> two years ago. First ever concert yeah. I ever went to was Toby Keith here in town. Toby Keith. It was here. It here was in Wichita Falls. It was here in Wichita Falls, yeah. Um, yeah, like Pruitt Ford think. supported it and all that stuff. And he, can't, he like, this Ford F-150 came out of the stage and the whole side of the truck opened up and he <laughs> popped out of it. And it was amazing. And I think I was like, I don't know, 12 that or 13. That totally makes sense that Toby Keith came out with a, a Ford F-150. Ford F-150, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was an awesome concert. It really was. Okay, okay, Lauren. Uh, I was not allowed to go Ooh. to the concerts I wanted to go to when I was growing up, uh, but I snuck away with some friends and went to see Def Leppard Hysteria. Nice, <gasps> dude! Um, what a killer concert! It was yeah, amazing. I've actually seen Def Leppard as well. Mm. It's good times. Yeah, I got Man, that's free awesome. on that one. That was fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. concert. It was also like, uh, let's see, they had. Um, Poison and oh my goodness, uh, yes, yeah, who was it? Dude. Uh, I think, I think Skid Row opened up for that. Would, I would have been totally fine. Yeah. Okay, okay. So <laughs> what's your what's your favorite what's your favorite uh, classic rock band? Like your favorite of all time classic rock. Okay, band. Okay, so my my next question was what's your go to oh. what's your go to like artist or band or whatever? Like I'm thinking like okay, I got to go mow the lawn, so I'm gonna put some headphones uh, jam, in. Yeah. What are you what are Easy. you jamming to? Okay, me is Eric Clapton. Okay. Yeah, you too. Every time, you too. Of course, yep. it is. Oh yeah. And there's so the much. People Their who catalog influence. is so yeah, right. huge. I just put it on shuffle, and I'm just super happy. Yeah, yeah. but like they, you know, they sent that free album out that kind of got everybody riled up about <laughs> everybody it. Everybody right? got mad about. Everybody was mad, and they're like, "I, it's free." I know. Like, I know. It's like, I know. Yeah. Yo, you and missed, then they had, and then Apple had to, Apple had to like figure out a way for you to take it off of your phone if you <laughs> didn't right. want you to. It's like I don't want you two on my phone. Yeah. Okay, well here's how, here's the process. Like that was the funniest thing. Yeah. So, my mine is actually um it's it's usually classic rock. Like, yeah. It's usually like eighties hair bands. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Aerosmith or oh, Def yeah, Leppard or sure. Bon Jovi. I it's guess so we're funny how a that's in the 90s. classic rock now. Or even you too to some people is classic rock. I'm like, I grew up and classic rock was like CCR and you okay. know those old, old bands. Like Clapton, even, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's classic rock now to like younger people. Eighties is, is like eighties. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were bands. talking about this recently. Like I, I knew I was old when I heard Green Day. On, on, classic rock. on the classic rock station. <laughs> right. I was like, that's a Green Day song. Like, that's not good that's for not, me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that that's means not, I'm old. Yeah. Hey, I will say all the way back to MTV. So I know you guys are joking about my age a lot, but <laughs> it came out when I was, I think, 11. But I lived in Germany. 
And so um, we had one American uh, TV station. It's called the Armed Forces Network. All of our military friends know what I'm talking about. I think they play that at the uh, the, the, the car wash down the street. They might. They might. Yeah. Um, but there was no MTV. There's no cable. There's no MTV. Mm. So I, from, from my middle of fourth grade, or I guess it came out when I was in fifth grade, all the way through middle school and high school, uh, we would occasionally get a VHS tape in the mail from across the Atlantic Ocean with six hours of MTV on it. So somebody made you a mixtape. It was tape. like gold for me. Like, and I would and I would just watch it over That's and over funny. again. Like, picture being stuck with the same six hours of MTV. That's what I had for like you know months on end. But but then you'd find out one of your friends had a tape of MTV, and we go to their house and we watch MTV. <laughs> right. So and it, it was back then with nothing but music videos. That's right. Funny, yeah. Though. That's all it was was yes. music videos and well, stuff. See, yeah. So my I was I was the firstborn, and so my parents were stricter on me as as I was going through all these things, and so I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music, if you will, at all. Like it was, you listen to Christmas, Christian music and, and, and that was it. Right. And so then when I left for college, different lives, I had like, I had the like crash course in everything that was everything else. And so that was, that was like, I was just like bombarded by music. I remember that was back when, uh, when Napster was there. Like, I, 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 I owe a lot of artists, a lot of money. (laughs) <laughs> because man, I had so much music. I yeah. guarantee you, I still have songs like oh, on my, yeah, <laughs> in my in my library that I got from Napster. Napster, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to ask this one question, All and right. I'll let you move us on. Oh, okay. Okay. What is your ideal vacation? Ooh, mm, that's not hard for me. Okay, go. My ideal vacation is mm-hmm. on an island or beach. Something along those lines. Uh, there is is pretty sand with sunsets and water coming up, just washing up onto the shore. Not a ton of people around us, and we have just the ability to chill or paddle board or yeah. you know do whatever surf or or mm. what I like. And and I love that's why I love I love cruises. And I know there's a lot of things that are not ideal about cruises with just the amount of you know the massive ship and the sure. tourism and all those kinds of the crazy things that that are there. But there's like I love to experience the different cultures of different places and different like islands in the Caribbean. Islands, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But I would love to go to like Australia, New Zealand, mm, Indonesia, yeah. and like hit all those little islands mm-hmm. and all of the areas over that. That would be my ideal vacation mm. right now. So there's rest and there's tons of fun and yeah, uh, yeah. So that that's that's probably where I'd go. Wow. Yeah, that's Warren. easy for me. Uh, with my family, it's very similar. With my family, my girls. I love the thought of the beach. Oh, we're bringing kids. Well, I was gonna just—I was gonna differentiate. <laughs> oh, yeah, so there's good two. Call. So good you call. have two. Okay. Well, with with my family, the beach. <laughs> I love the thought of a beautiful beach where the kids can run and play. I can chill. I can be in the water with them. Um, we can just—it's incredibly relaxing. Uh, but by myself, every time it's the mountains. I just want to be in the middle of okay. nowhere. Whether it's camping, it's backpacking, it's in a you know nice nice cabin, but anything like that. I just, I get excited about those mm. are my two very different directions, but yeah, that's I me. do. I do want to have a, a shower and a, uh, and an air conditioner. You want to be a clean person. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want to live on the, like on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. like to like go into a room <clears throat> and like cook dinner and, you know, sleep yeah. and then go back out to the right. beach. You know, yeah. So no me, I, so 
since he brought kids in, because I'm totally selfish and was not <laughs> thinking about that. Uh, kid, like kids would be like lake house kind of thing at the lake, boat, just fun in the water, that kind of stuff. For me, if it was just like me and Shelby, there's this there's this YouTuber guy that I want I watch, um, and they took this like houseboat thing that has a motor but doesn't run, and they renovated this and they pull it out in like to in the bay. They anchored it up. They've got like some jet skis around, mm-hmm. and they live out there on that mm. on that deal on that houseboat for two weeks. They fish. They cook whatever they catch. That's the ideal vacation for me. Just yeah, out in the water. That's cool. Houseboat. That's it. I would starve if I had to eat what I caught because I can't. I, I literally cannot catch <laughs> fish. Can't. I don't know what it is, but I yeah. cannot catch fish. That's like, just. Not. That's the ideal vacation for me. So if anybody's listening and has a house, and if you have these things, that would, you know, <laughs> always right, looking right, for that. All right, all right. So that's enough. That's enough about us. Okay, um, cool. So Lauren, yesterday we started. Uh, we started announcing um, Celebrate Recovery. I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are you excited about with Celebrate Recovery? That it's coming in a couple of in a couple of uh, what weeks now? Yes, um, two weeks from this Friday, I think. Or three we, so weeks, three weeks from this Friday. I, I think you even talked about it this the, yesterday that um, that we used to have celebrate recovery back in the day. Correct. What is it that, that gets you excited about celebrate recovery and bring that back and and uh, having that as a part of what well, we do? Well, to cut to the chase, it's a recovery ministry, and so um, for anybody already familiar with recovery ministry, uh, it speaks for itself. But for any of you who are not, it's it's just it's intentional community and work on on recovering from the most painful things we encounter. Uh, in a lot of ways, in theory, that's what the church should be about anyway. But, but in reality, we, we come in and we put our game faces on and we, mm-hmm. we say we're good and we, we want to laugh, we want to celebrate, we want to sing upbeat songs, we want to be inspired. Uh, and on top of that, we're sitting in rows and in larger spaces Celebrate Recovery is a great example of, hey, let's get in smaller groups. Let's actually be honest about how we're doing, including when life gets really hard or when we've made some awful choices. Uh, and let's, let's recognize we're not alone. Uh, my, I think one of my favorite things about Celebrate Recovery is that it's another fantastic opportunity for people to discover, oh, it's not just me. Yeah. Um, because I think that's one of the hardest things of life is, is the way all of us struggle in different ways, whether it's doubts or it's bad choices, or it's just being a victim of other people's bad choices, whatever it is. And we, we really believe, we don't just maybe think we really believe that nobody else is going through this. And if they knew that I was going through this, they would freak out. Mm. And Celebrate Recovery is a fantastic opportunity to find out there are a ton of hurting people all around us, everywhere we go. And it's a unique time and place that's blatantly Christ-centered. It's not just some feel-good thing or some self-help program. It's blatantly in the Scripture. It's blatantly leaning into Jesus. Um, in fact, that's the main... It's, it's kind of like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, or NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and, and other things like it, except this is blatantly Christ-centered. Um, it's been... Saddleback Church, I believe, a uh, big church in California um, under Rick Warren's leadership was the church that that started Celebrate Recovery huh, at okay. least a couple decades ago. I don't know the exact history, maybe three or four decades ago. And it's just it's just been incredible. I will say I've had several friends go th- go through 
its recovery ministry, be a part of leading it and experiencing it. And they're some of my favorite people. It, it, it will change our church. I'll, I'll say this boldly. I, I'm terribly biased. You have, reco- you have good recovery ministry, like um, we have Grief Share now, another small group that's meeting for anybody who's going through um, grieving and loss in different ways. We don't have divorce care, which is another recovery ministry for, for the many folks that experience divorce, but I hope we do at some point. And then now we're going to have Celebrate Recovery, which is much broader. It's for, as they say, it's for all kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Uh, but it changes your church because it's so grace-oriented and so messy that it, the ripple effect throughout our whole church in, in unseen ways will be really, really beautiful. Mm. Um, so I'm, even if it's small, I mean, even if you know, a dozen, 15 people start, start being a part of it in a few weeks, uh, I think the long-term impact on our church is going to be wonderful, um, much less the people it's really going to help, really mm. going to help. We used to have a whole group of people that when we had Saturday night service yeah. would come on Saturday night service. From one of the from, Hope I think, Center? I, or, no, I think it was Recovery Center. Well, and frankly, that a group like that doesn't usually feel welcome in church. Yeah, totally. Right. And so for us to blatantly have a recovery ministry, even on the surface at least speaks, no, 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 you're welcome here. Much less will we have people in our midst that are part of that that can go, yeah, come with me, you know? So Sure, yeah. Um, that's one of the things I love about Colonial's history, long <clears throat> before I got here, is, you know, to Jim's credit and, and others before him, previous pastors, uh, they tried to help create this culture where, hey, if you're... If you feel like a misfit, if you feel like an outcast, if you feel unloved or unwelcome anywhere else, come here, you know? And I love that about Colonial. I don't. Right. I, I hope we don't lose that or haven't lost that. Um, I'm not all tatted up and, you know, crazy edgy looking. Um, but but my heart is, is for the folks that don't feel welcome other places. And Celebrate Recovery is going to help us, I think, just ooze God's grace. That's my hope. Mm. Yeah, well, I've heard I've heard you say before that some of your favorite churches that you've ever been a part of are blatantly had celebrate had celebrate recovery. Oh, I, I'll I'll say all of them. Yeah, uh, if if I had to list my top five, six, seven churches I've ever been a part of in any specific way, they've all had recovery ministry, and yeah. it's it's a different culture. Yeah, it's a different mindset of loving people around us. Yeah, I'm excited about even just the stories that can come out of that. Yes. And, um, stories of life change and just God at work. I think a lot of times people just need to see that God is changing lives around them, mm-hmm. and that gives them hope for gives me hope <laughs> for how He can change my life, yeah. turn my life around, even. So, well, and that's <clears throat> we talk about wanting to create a storytelling culture here at Colonial. One of the things they do at CR that's what everybody calls it CR Celebrate Recovery. Every week at the meetings, they have different components, and one of the components is somebody shares their story. Wow! So if you can imagine going to church regularly and every time you go you hear someone share a story of life mm. change it that's encouraging in and of itself it's amazing yeah. that's amazing and so in some ways it's how the church should be yeah <laughs> for sure so right. yeah that's starting on uh friday nights at seven o'clock okay uh beginning the 14th of may and then it'll be every friday it's year round they don't take days off because because recovery doesn't take a day off mm. Um, for some people, Friday nights might sound weird, like, Ooh, I don't want to do that on a Friday. But for a lot of people, Oh, that's exactly where I want to be on a Friday as right. opposed to these other places I might go yeah. or feeling all alone on a, on a otherwise social night. Uh, and so my hope is that that specifically is a blessing. Yeah. One of my favorite people 
Mark Whitley. Um, he's our CR. He's our CR guy, and he's 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 leading that, leading the way in a lot of those, and and a team of people around him. So, yep, I'm excited about it. You can go to colonialchurch.com/slash/celebrate-recovery if at all any of our listeners are, are wanting to check out more. There's even an interview on there, I believe, from a few months ago. Yep, uh, that might even shed some light on on what we're doing. Yeah, it's cool. Well, and that and that it flows very well with your message from from yesterday, as you were talking about. Uh, I mean, obviously, with our series from death to life, and and um, and it just in in those stories, and and the the hope that you're watching someone go through CR to go from that, you know, that that realization of of the the death of whatever or, or whatever that is, the despair, as you talked about this weekend, to that hope that they can have in Christ, mm-hmm. and and uh, and so it, it seems like it flows quite well with uh, with what you were talking about yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I've I've loved. Uh, I've, I've, we've said it again. I've said it before, but um, I get to be the story editor, so to speak. You know, where when we capture these stories that we've been sharing each week, and um, man, it's just breathing life into me and and my family. Just hearing these people, uh, like for instance, this past weekend we shared um, uh, Barbara Favorite, right? Who's on staff here at Colonial, um, and just to hear. Just to hear like her illustrate just pain and loss and grief that they have experienced her and her husband Lou, and to just get to the end of her sharing that story and to hear her say, you know, we choose joy. We choose, we choose to recognize and know that God is good and He is our He is a good Father. And um, to bring perspective like that, ugh, like I need people like that in my life who are going to just choose, who are going to choose that over and over and over again. Whenever I can't, you know, whenever I'm in this season of life where I just can't see that perspective, um, it it's like so encouraging to know that we have a Barbara favorite mm. on our staff championing not just her own story and, and, and all that stuff, but ours as well. Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite things about Barbara is just her laugh, man. It's just, <laughs> it's infectious and it, it picks you up on a, on a bad day. You know? Yeah. It's a bummer for everybody that while we heard. Barbara share her story in brief uh, yesterday. We didn't hear her laugh. Yeah, because that is my favorite thing about Barbara. Absolutely, she just is a giggle box. I've worked <laughs> I've worked out in the same gym with her, and you can hear her. I'm I'm groaning and and complaining, <laughs> and, and she is little... giggling. It's yeah. her own way of groaning and complaining. That's right. Um, I don't know if anybody if if everybody has somebody like that in their life. Um, I'm blessed with my wife. My wife has a great laugh. Yeah. And and I've heard so many friends over the years just talk about. I love being around your wife because she mm. just laughs. She she th- makes me think I'm funny. She makes me think yeah. life is fun. I, we probably all could just think of that one person or mm. those two or three people in our lives mm. that just. And Barbara's one of those. Yeah, I will say to jump into the content of what she shared. Um, I have to believe. I I know that so many couples, so many women could resonate with her story. Mm. Um, I won't. I won't bore people again with our story of infertility, but but what I learned through our our experience that wasn't that far off from Barbara's back in the day is that a miscarriages are incredibly common. Um, they they say about one in six pregnancies end in miscarriage, but that's that doesn't count all the ones that that pretty early on. Uh, end up being miscarriages and people, women didn't even know they were pregnant. So there, oh, yeah. a lot of doctors speculate it's about one in four. And I had no idea that one out of four were miscarriages 
uh, until we did it. And then yeah. we realized, oh, it's because nobody talks about it. Mm. Nobody mm-hmm. raised their hand and said, oh, hey, update. We miss Carrie. Like, it's very private. Right. A lot of people don't tell anybody. Don't tell family. Yeah. Um, I, I'll bet there's even stories of women not telling their husbands or or, or different things like that that they, they found out and then they found out they miscarried. And they, they, we just keep that pain in so much. And I love her bravery, Barbara's courage to just lay that out for people. I love that she came up. I don't know if she was asked to or not, but I didn't ask her to. She came up after the service just to be up front, part of the response team and ready to talk to people. And if it didn't happen yesterday, uh, it's going to happen over the next weeks and months that people are going to seek out Barbara and Lou privately and say, can we talk? Can mm-hmm. you can you pray with us? Can you, can you just listen to our story? Because that's me and Carrie's story. Ever yeah. since we've been open about it, we have been sporadically inundated mm. with people who don't want to raise their hand in a big crowd. Of course, yeah. But they want to come to us privately. Say, can we have can we have dinner? I've had I've had a couple of Air Force men here in Wichita Falls the last couple of years want me to take them out for a drink and just say, How do I do this as a man? Like mm. how do, I can't I can't help my wife go yeah. through this. I don't know how to be. And I have of course have very little mm. solution, but to just to be able to empathize and and talk about how hard it is. So I'm just so grateful for Barbara's courage to share. You, you you said like that's such a private hurt that people carry with them. And um I think going into like I you know, I got the I got the opportunity to several weeks ago hear her share this and to hear her even say like, you know, the pain resurfaces for them when you're asked how many kids do you have? Yep. You don't even think about that. And she has to process, like in in the moment. Oh, well, what what you mean is, yeah. How many do I have living? You know, or how come you don't, or have how more, come you don't have more, or, and all that stuff. Yeah, and so um, you don't even realize some of those questions and and what that can drum up for people. And going into this weekend, thinking about like this could have easily been the most relatable story we've shared. Mm. In in that you you don't know you just don't know how many people watching that seeing that are right there where she is, mm-hmm. um, and so I I kind of just resonate with if 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 you're struggling with some of that reach out because uh, man I know Barbara and Lou would just jump at the at the chance to be able to pray with oh, people yeah. and just they would love um, that yeah that's a great word if any couples. Any women, any men are struggling in that area privately. Uh, my family's definitely a safe space. I, I know Barbara and Lou would would love to sit down one on one, two on two, whatever, and just talk. And um, I will say this too, uh, maybe just a quick teachable moment because I have to believe we all have these kind of questions. What, what do I do to to love people well that are going through this, especially for the many people that can't relate. Like I've got friends that they're like, you want to have another kid? Oh, there's another one. Oh, you want to have another kid? Oh, there's another one. Like they can't relate to infertility struggles mm-hmm. or to miscarriage, which is great. Like we shouldn't feel guilty about that. Right. Um, two quick thoughts. One is don't give advice. Oh my goodness. Just, just soak this up for a moment. I will tell you in our four and a half years of infertility, I would say we got somewhere between 250 and 500 little statements of advice. Well, have you tried this? Well, have you tried that? Well, you know, if you mm-hmm. do this, you'll have, 
like that is the least helpful thing. It's it's overwhelming. It's frustrating. It's on a on a bad day. It just ticks people off. It's not sensitive. But that's the negative. On a positive side, man, the best thing you can do is just just weep with people. Just say, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and you hug them, or you listen, or you you don't have to make it better. Um, I think people that are going through that kind of grief, just like with loss of other kinds, it's just it's so much more helpful just to don't don't walk on eggshells and worry about saying the wrong thing. It's going to happen. Um, but I think mostly just. Just listen and say, I'm so sorry. I love you. Mm. I'm hurting with you. I'm praying, praying for you. I think that's a good word even for me. Just I I think Shelby and I are the those people who are like, You thinking about having another kid? Oh, too late. You got one. Uh, <laughs> you know. Which is a blessing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Like I I'll, I'll say this, like uh, you know, my mom and my dad struggled really hard with infertility. I'm the only kid my mom was able to have. She wanted five, six, seven kids running around. We, They went through this whole foster to adopt, and, and things just never seemed to work out. Um, had several different um, kids in our home along with us. Um, and so part of me looks at it on the opposite end in that you know, I'm kind of the recipient of the blessing my mother really wanted. You yeah. know, um, I, I've got three beautiful kids and I wouldn't change anything for the world. And um, but I think what you just said, like just being with people and not offering advice and not trying to fix the situation for them, that resonates really deeply with me, even in the grief and loss side of things, too. Like if you can't if you haven't been there, man, like um there's no fix it quick button. Yeah. You're not going to say the right thing that's going to make this situation better. Right. So don't even try. Like just no. be there and um and love on them, you know. That's that's that I think that was a word for me even, mm. so. Good. I think it's also, you know, from the perspective of somebody that might say something wrong or step on somebody's toes in in that, you know, it's it's also good to keep in mind like you don't need to be defensive about it. Mm. You don't need to take it personally. Like they are going through something difficult, something extremely difficult in a lot of cases. And if you said something wrong and they got upset, like just be cool with it. Like it's okay. Like love them anyway, move on. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to get defensive and then try to make it better or try to explain to them why it is. Like it just, things happen. And, 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 you know, in those kinds of situations where, you know, you're dealing with loss or grief, pain, it doesn't matter if somebody says the right thing. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't. It doesn't make you feel better in the in the in the in that moment. You know, you're still in pain, right? Whether you said the right thing or the wrong mm-hmm. thing, that person's still hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And one of one of the things that like <clears throat> when I was experiencing just some grief and loss loss of my mom and and all those different things, one of the things that was really helpful is that um, when people approach when people approach you know you or share things with you. They're not sharing it so that you can fix it. <laughs> they're, it's it's a lot like just trying to clear your mind, um, just trying to be able to get it out of your inner being. Um, and so sometimes you just need to be the recipient of some things and that let that be enough, you know? Yeah. Um, Which is really hard. It's we, so hard. We want to fix things for people. Mm-hmm. Right. We feel awkward if we can't. Yep. Uh, we feel like we're supposed to. And all those things, none of those things are true. They're just... Presence over words, right? Just time and time again is what's what's needed, and so hard, so yeah. hard. 
Well, look, uh, we could we could keep going, but we have, uh, and I forgot to set this up at the beginning, so my bad there. But we have an interview to get to that I want to give you a second, Lauren, to to talk about. So um, let's we could we could keep talking about you know grief and loss, yeah, and for pain sure. and all these things that are that are you know, every and we will, day and we will, people, we will right? keep talking about that, yeah. But we also have a story. So we have a story from um, from one of our one of our family members here and uh and so I want want to get to get to the opportunity to listen to this this conversation that uh, that you had with um with some of our folks. So Lauren, can you can you set us up, introduce them? What what are we about to listen to? Absolutely. We've been sharing some stories the last few weeks on Sunday mornings uh of death to life, of just the way God in his mercy and goodness just rescues and changes us. And I've really enjoyed that. Thanks again, Tanner, for the hard work of just of just helping assemble some of these stories and record them and edit them. And we've got some more we're going to share this weekend. But yes, I really enjoyed uh, a more lengthy uh, interview with uh, Terry and Karen Johnson. Um, a lot of our colonial folks, especially longtime colonial folks, know them. If you don't know Terry and Karen, uh, they've been coming to colonial. Uh, probably as long as anybody that we've still got. Uh, I think they came in 1992, and the church started uh, officially in the spring of 89, so mm. very early on in our, our history, and uh, did not grow up church. Uh, you'll, you'll hear his story. It, for for the, you folks that are not churchy, that, that did not grow up in you know out of the womb, coming to, to church with your parents or anything like that, you will really enjoy Terry's story. Uh, it's a story of radical uh, discovery and, and life change. And uh, Terry's a local pediatrician here in town, a uh, medical professional. He's been really helpful even this last year, leaning into for advice on how we handle uh, the virus and coming together as a church. He's one of our deacons, uh, just a servant at heart. Karen, his wife, is spunky and fun and... Uh, <laughs> I will say this. She's my favorite Karen. So um, there's some, a lot of Karens out there. She's my favorite Karen. I, I'm looking forward to not only hearing about Terry's life and, and the way God has met him, but also they both get to share in this interview about an incredible ministry they've been a part of in Africa and, and therefore our church has been able to be a part of in Nairobi, Kenya. So um, without further ado, you want to you wanna transition to them now? I'm just gonna lay that out there, like a pro, yeah. like a pro, like a pro. Perfect. So yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up. We'll pause our conversation for now. We'll be back next week. And uh, so send us your questions, podcast at colonialchurch dot com, and um, we will wrap this one up. Get to our interview with Dr. Terry and Karen Johnson, and we'll see you guys next week. Well, thanks for joining us, Karen and Terry, on the E Six Podcast. Uh, I thought I'd start with a fun question, Terry. Okay. Uh, as a kindred spirit, who and why is your favorite comic book character? Okay. So if I'm going to be honest to go all the way back to the beginning, it's going to have to be Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Oh, I respect Because I that. remember yes. him being my first hero because he was a nerd. He was a nerd, Total nerd who got kid. superpowers. Yes. Um, you know, got the He's the anti Superman. Exactly. Really. Exactly. So and he was and he was a nerd and a, a geek and a scientist and 
Never got the girl. So, so does that ring true for you? <laughs> well, it did Jerry? back then. <laughs> at least I would think. I'm hoping not so much anymore as it used to be. But yeah, Spider Man was always the he was the first. I so. love your your uh, fanaticism about all things comics, comic book movies, comic books, the actual graphic novels, the the stories. Karen, what's your perspective? Was he like that? I guess when he when he's he, always been a nerd. He's <laughs> touche, touche. Uh, what are some of your favorite things about this nerd, Karen? I'm putting you on the spot. I think that he's still a kid, even though he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders. He can still be a kid and mm. have fun with that kind of stuff, even though it goes over my head. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a cool thing to say, though, as a as a fancy, well educated doctor. To do what you do in crisis and to care about people going through uniquely hard things for you to still be a big kid, that's got to carry a lot. A it lot makes it fun. It. Yeah. It's, uh, in, our, in the exam rooms where I get to see children, I don't have a chair. I walk in and I stand, and then when I go to see the kids, I kneel down and see them on their level. Mm. Um, it results in a lot of squatting all day long, which I, that I can, I convey that as my form of exercise yeah. because that's the only exercise up I get. And down, yeah. But when I, when I get to the point where I can't get up and down anymore, then we might have a problem. Mm. But for now that seems to work. Love it. Love it. Well, I have enjoyed our growing friendship. Both of you guys, um, I've said it before to y'all face to face and a lot of usage of the smartphone to say thank you for the encouragement you've been to me. Um, I'm flashing back to Colonial's search team that was formed, uh, I don't even know when that was, 2017, and you were on it, Terry. And so I'd like to just publicly uh, add you to this short list of people for people to know that if anybody's just having some, you know, buyer's remorse on this Lauren Jones thing, <laughs> you can call Terry Johnson. Uh, he was part of that. So um, Well, it was my third search team, and we pretty much said thir third's a charm, we hope, because after that, I just can't do this anymore. Cause That's a lot of work, right? I'm not the right man for this job. So Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the prayer that you guys put into it, and in some ways, I feel like you're one of my oldest friends here because oh. we met on a Zoom call when I still lived in Denver. So um, I want to dive right into hearing your story. Karen, you've already promised you're not going to hold back and you can interject at any point. But, but Terry, you've shared your story in full in, in a lot of ways with Colonial before. It's just been many, 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 many years since you've shared it, correct? When was the last time you, I think you were on a stage here at Colonial, correct? And you shared so much of what God has done in your life. Is that, when was that? That was the, um, the spring of 2005. 2005. Well, I think some people can relate to my story in that I grew up in a church. I grew up uh, knowing a lot about God before he became real to me, before I owned my own faith. Um, had my own crisis of faith as a, as a teenager and young adult. But your story is uniquely different that I think a, a different crowd of people can relate to. Tell us where you were before coming to know Jesus and what led you eventually to discovering him. So I did not grow up in church. Right. I grew up on the West Coast, and I always joke that if NF, if the Cowboys were playing at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I don't think there'd be a lot of people in church in Texas. So, um, But because we are in the Bible Belt, that happens. So on the West Coast, that that doesn't happen. And, and I came from a family that was not church-oriented. Mm. I had been to church a few times growing up and with for some special reasons and uh, like a girlfriend in college kind of thing, but it wasn't really real. Um, um, I grew up 
with a interesting family situation. We were very poor um, in the backwoods of Oregon, and I had a stepdad who was a, quite an intellectual, but also a bit of a sociopath, and so very self-centered, and 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 pretty much everything was about manipulation. And he had exposed us to all the religions, in as with they were all equal. Mm. And so in my mind, well, that's Christianity is just another one of those. So so I was very easy dismissive of that. But I also figured out that I was kind of smart, and I didn't know how that happened, but it did. And so I also knew that that was my ticket out of being poor. Hmm. And so like, I was an involuntary vegetarian for six years of my life. I was one of those kids. You knew the poor kids in school when you were growing up because they wore the same clothes every day, and they looked forward to school lunches. Hmm. And I was one of those. Hmm. And so going off to college was my way, my, my escape. Hmm. Um, I ended up going with work study and scholarships and um, just... And any time that I got a little discouraged about studying, I would go home and visit for the weekend, and that would remind me about what I was escaping from. And I bought into the American dream that happiness is a good job, a family, um, and once you get all that, you're, you're done. You're, you've made it. You're going to be happy and self-satisfied and, and, and content. And so I spent my entire life doing that. Um, got married at my last year of college, found this woman here. Um, as we best all, decision did ever. Did you guys meet at Oregon State? <laughs> we did. Yes. Did you just say I threw food at her? I did. <laughs> I, I threw food at her. It's For a time-honored tradition of meeting women in our family. Um, I threw food at her in the cafeteria to get her attention. and That's romantic. Um, I like oh, it. Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up, um, we actually eloped because we didn't think her parents would agree because I was that kid. I was that undesirable um poor kid but i don't know they didn't also at that point i thought i was gonna be a doctor but nobody really believed it i think (laughs) other than me um and so we got married um and then we uh got into med school after one failure of trying um i had a year off and then we had a baby just before he started med school which made it much more challenging and so so i pursued this dream of being a doctor and having a family and we graduated from med school and did residency in pediatrics in Oregon, and then, for whatever reason, joined the military, and they decided, in their wisdom, to send us to Wichita Falls to be at Shepherd. And we'd never lived anywhere past the West Coast, so... This is like early 90s, I think? 1992. Okay. We graduated from residency, packed up with our seven-year-old son and our four-month-old newborn, and drove from Oregon to Texas. And... And what was interesting, because at that point now I'd accomplished everything that I was supposed to do, and we got here, and I definitely didn't feel it. I actually had some... Well, we weren't in church at that time still. No. So. And we had never been a part of our life. But the interesting thing is we only knew one family in the entire town, and it was uh, Christy and Brad Christensen. They were originally from Texas, and they came back. But they were the only people we knew in town, and right away they kept telling us, we found this great church, we want you guys to come with us. And we were West Coasters unchurched. And we're like, what is it with these Texans in church? <laughs> but we did notice that the second question everybody asks you when you arrive in Texas is, so what do you do? And the second question is, where do you go, where to, do church? You go to church? That is interesting Bible Belt second culture. Second question yeah. every single wow. time. Yeah. So, so finally we decided to get Christy and Brad off our backs. And so we would just go, we get it over with, and then we could say we did it, check that box, and they would never. And besides, it would be easy. We'll go into church, sneak in, and sneak out. We arrived, and they went, okay, we're going to Sunday school. 
Well, no, no, wait, wait, wait. We just signed in for sneaking into the sermon and sneaking out again. So our first day in church, we went to a Sunday school, small group, whatever you want to call it. And it wasn't too unpleasant. They had donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And they were nice people. And then we went to the service, and it was nice, although the young pastor that was teaching, I mean, he's my age. What is this guy doing up there? And and he was had some interesting things to say, but we had no intention of coming back. And later that week, the son, the small group leader called us, or he called us the next week because we didn't go. The next week he called us. He said, hey, are you guys okay? So are the kids okay? I'm like, what? Who? Ed? Ed Melvin? What? Do you, what? What? And he was like, well, we know you guys weren't there today. We don't know if everybody's okay. Are the boys okay? And we're like, yeah, they're okay. They're... So we went the next week. So we did go the next week. <laughs> you got guilted and we've never time. stopped since. So, That's um, crazy. Um, they, they heard they recruited us in. I got saved about six months later. I got baptized in the old baptistry before it doesn't exist any longer. Um, that was in ninth, January of 1993. What did those six months look like? Was it, was it, was it community mostly that brought you it quickly was to the Lord? Or both. was it fo- information? It was the, the community that they didn't know I needed. Mm. When we started going to the small group, that was the best part actually. Mm-hmm. But also the sermons. Mm. I'm like, no, no, sermon is an old thing for old people that doesn't apply to me. Right. But Rick Thompson, who was mm-hmm. the pastor at that time, was my age, was saying things that were like, who is he talking to and where? how does he read my mail kind of thing? Mm. And it was just, and our older son, Jeffrey, was so fascinated with what Rick Thompson had to say at age seven that he made us sit on the third row. Yes, he did. <laughs> and... <laughs> As you can that's incredible. We're unique. not, we're yes, not front row. Your seven year old dragging you up to the he front. He did because he wanted to make certain he could see Pastor Rick. Um, so that oh, was an goodness. interesting experience. But it was, and so very quickly we we got invested and mm. and very quickly as being we were originally very quiet in our small group, but then we got louder and louder, and then and then after about a year and a half, um, our our small group leader kicked us out. And made us go start our own small group. Yes, he did. And Karen, really? Karen almost yes. left the church. Because you didn't want to part with yes. the community you already had, right? Yes. It was hard. <laughs> she did. I was very angry. <laughs> she was. She was very angry. <laughs> she was like, they're kicking us out. And so yeah, it was kind of an yeah, interesting we experience. But then we, we had a small group, and that was uh, probably 1994 by that time. And we've had a small group ever since. Mm. And it's been our lifeline. It's been our, it, even on times when Colonial would only have two services and you had to choose between serving or just small group, we chose small group and serving rather mm-hmm. than going, we got, we can always listen to Rick on, ta- on tape. Mm-hmm. Tape. That's on tape. how long you ago just, that was. I'm sorry yourself. I did. Yeah. I did. No. We Not had to CD. come pick up the tape from them. CD. <laughs> 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 tape. Okay. It wasn't eight track. It was, it was cassette. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, so as, as, um, as the kind of person I am, I kind of throw myself into anything and everything I do. I'm a, I'm a guardian connector. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. The overachiever, work yourself to the bone, yeah. kill yourself and all those around you because you've got to do everything. And so I did. But what happened was, even though I had a new life in Christ initially, I fell back into the old ways of dealing with life mm. because it all became rote and the adrenaline junkie that is the guardian connector. I just wanted the next difficult thing, the next hard thing Mm. and stress of starting a private practice and, and just go, 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 go. Um, and so as I had back in my early days before Christ, there were certain coping mechanisms that would help. 
and so those crept back in. Mm. And so by good 2003, I had developed an addiction to hydrocodone containing cough syrup. Mm. And this initially began because there were some free samples that the reps brought around. And I tend to get really severe headaches with sinus infections and it helps. Mm. I'm also one of those people that don't react normally to drugs like everybody else does. Like mm. that little warning sign on those kinds of medications that says may cause drowsiness, that, that makes me laugh because I can stay up for days on opioids. Mm. It gives me energy, allows me to think, and I was pain-free, but I also didn't feel. Mm. And that was the other thing. Completely numbed you. It would numb me to the stress and strain that I would be dealing with. And he was a jerk. Yeah. You saw that side of it, huh? Yes, but I didn't know he was. She just thought it was, was. It was hidden from you as well. Yes. Yeah. Wow. For how long? How long was it hidden from you, Karen? Probably about a year. Yeah, about, about a year. Because mm. what began was no as addiction to samples. Well, and that wasn't enough because as is the case with opioids, you develop a tolerance. Mm. And so that little buzz and comfort then started to not be enough. And so... I actually began writing prescriptions for my family members for cough syrup. Wow. And by the time that I reached the end of that, I was consuming about 250 milligrams of hydrocodone a day. Mm. And it wasn't giving a buzz or giving any warm feeling. At that point, I was just staving off withdrawal symptoms. Mm. And what happened was, and I kind of knew I I was trying to get caught. I wanted to get caught. I couldn't stop on my own. I was doing the same prescriptions to the same pharmacy going, I mean, so, you know, I was trying to get caught basically Mm. in my own head. I was sabotaging myself. And so one day a DE agent came knocking on my door and they thought I was the one that had the problem. They did. Well, they knocked on her, our door, our home door first while I was at work. They had my picture. Huge. Is that because you wrote the prescription? Oh, yeah. In her name and my son's names. And you had no idea at this point. I had no idea. Oh, my goodness. I went to the cupboard because I was like, well, I mean, I think he has some of those samples somewhere. And they said, will you show us? And they didn't. I couldn't find any samples anywhere. Wow. Oh, no, I didn't let those far from my person. So this all hit the fan that day. It, it did. did. 2003, the end of 2003. What was the low, was that the low point that day or was it again? No, that wasn't quite the low point. It was almost the low point. He came to my office and it wasn't unusual for individuals to come to my office from law enforcement because at that time I was also, once again, I couldn't do enough. I was at that time the child abuse expert of the region. Mm. And I was Which doing, led to the that was another one of those numbing things. As well. Yeah. Because mm. I did over 600 exams for child sexual abuse Ooh. in that time and so, so just what you were made known what, the things you were made privy to you just were overwhelmed the, by yeah and numbing yeah. but i can still function yeah um mm. this d agent came to my office and closed the door and he flipped out the huge printout of all the prescriptions i'd be written he goes these weren't for your family were they and i'm like no sir and he goes, he goes, I've asked around about you. And he goes, I've heard you're a good guy. Mm. And so here's the reality. It's going to take me a couple days to write my report and submit it. And in that time, you need to turn yourself in to your medical board. It'll go much better for you if you do it that way. Mm. And, and you need to get help. And so I'm giving you that opportunity right now. And so as soon as he left the office, I went to my partner's. And it was, they were in denial too. No, you're, no, they're just making a big thing. I go, no, they're not. It's a big deal. 
And so I went down to the medical board after sending him a letter. They ended up making a, uh, a private order. It was a secret double probation, so nobody knew, and that's what weighed on him a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah, they said so, legally this doesn't exist. But so nobody knew about it still. So they said our, our requirements for you to maintain your medical license are um, you have to do random urine drug screens. It started five times a month. So it was, I just made a phone call every morning to find out if I was going to pee in a cup that day. You have to go to AA or NA meetings four to five times a week. You have to go see a psychiatrist. And you have to go see our forensic psychiatrist down in Waco, um, or Temple, um, twice a year. And if you do all these things without messing up, then, and you do it for 10 years. Nobody will know. Then no one will ever know. That's a secret that's hard to hold. Wow. I mean, to so bear. I did that for a year. You did that for one year, not 10. No. no, I did it for a year because then at the end of 2004, the tsunami occurred, mm. people remember this, on Christmas Day, mm -hmm. that wiped out Thailand and parts of Sri Lanka and all the East, Southern, Southeast Asia. Devastating. Well, a group here in town decided they wanted to go do a medical relief. And this had been my dream to do medical relief mm. work. And at that point, I made the mistake of thinking, oh, I can handle this. So we went. That was a mistake. I couldn't handle it. Once again, the Did emotional toll, the spiritual toll, watching... I was seeing families that were just like half a family. Mm. And we, this, we went to Sri Lanka. Well, somebody had donated some fentanyl patches. And unbeknownst to me. Once again. And so I used a couple fentanyl patches. Mm. And of course that meant when I came back and did a drug screen, I failed. And this is where it gets interesting. But I think that it almost, he wanted it to fail too because it was really weighing on him that it was so private. And so that's a secret that's, he felt like he was being one person to a lot of people, but he had the secret that nobody knew about. Mm. And that, you can only do that for so much, yeah. for so long. Yeah. Well, every so, day in my AA meetings, I was told, your only chance for long-term sobriety is complete honesty. Mm. And every day, I was looking in the faces of families going, in my head, if they knew, would yeah. they even let me near their kid? Mm. So I, I lived with that for a year. So, and then I did that. I actually got called down to the board because I failed the drug screen, although I lied about why I failed it. I handled some fentanyl patches. It was an accident. And they were like, come down and talk to us about that. And so... <laughs> And, and I still thought it was an accident, too. Yeah, I Because he wasn't, wasn't truthful still at that. And you wanted to believe it was an accident. Right. Certainly, yeah. I believe your phrase was, just tell me. And I didn't. I didn't confess to her. Mm. So I went down to the medical board, and I sat with them, and they let me tell my story, my lie. And they just nodded, and then they... And then one of them said one thing that triggered me, and that was, your only chance is complete honesty. And the light bulb went on. Like, I've been hearing that every day for the last year at AA, and I, I just spilled my guts. You just needed to hear it for the I just heard that person time. say that, <laughs> and it, it realized, what are you doing? Mm. And so I confessed. Yes, I did it. I did it. I, I admit it. And they were like, oh. So they, they then deliberated, and then they, they shared with me that if I had continued to deny it, I was going to lose my medical license and never would have practiced medicine in Texas again. But to reward me for my honesty, my secret probation was now 15 years and would be made public. 
And they boy, go, was it public. They go, you're going to, we're going to, it'll be in our, our monthly report that gets published to the media. You're probably going to be on the front page of your local newspaper. Mm. And they were right. And the news. And, and you're going to get suspended for three months. So you get to decide, you want to do that now, you want to do it in the fall, when you want to do that. But w- at the end of that three months, we'll re-institute your medical license with complete, um, no restrictions, but you're on probation for 15 years now. And I, I, so that was my summer vacation of 2005. Um, but before that happened, on the drive home, I had to make the most frightening phone call of my life and tell, call Karen mm. to tell her. And, and then and I made you, the second you, most frightening call, which was my sponsor, mm. to tell him, to which he told me, when are you going to get back in town? Oh, the meeting's at 530. I'll see you there. You can confess to the group. So... It's a that, good sponsor. Oh, he was. <laughs> yeah, like I said. And then the third one was to Tim Wheat. Then I had to call my pastor. Who was pastor? Who was actually on the trip to us with Sri Lanka. Oh. And he kept saying, Terry, if I'd only known, I go, Tim, what are you talking about? You <laughs> like, couldn't stop me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, so later that week, Tim called me. And he said, I need you to tell your story up on stage at Colonial. And I'm like, Later that week? This week. Mm-hmm, yeah, that, that week. week. Oh my goodness. And I go, are you smoking crack? Cause that's, that's crazy. And he goes, no, I'm the, we're doing the verses in Romans seven. I do mm. what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I know I need to do. Which and I referred to today without quoting the passage. Yeah. Absolutely. And the sermon series was living a lie in Christ while living a life in Christ. Wow. Living a life in Christ while living so a life in Christ. So he said, so we need yeah. you to tell your story. Mm. And even though it terrified me at the moment, I knew he was right. Mm. And so, and this was a time when Colonial had four services, one on Saturday and mm-hmm. three on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching two small groups on Sunday morning. And the servant leadership. And I was leader, the chairman of the chairman. servant leadership team. So he was. Uh, which was pres- like, you know, the elder board at that mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. or deacon body, whatever you want to call all those things. So Tim got up and did his service, his, his sermon. And then he said, now I'm going to have somebody come up here and share. And you all, most of you know him, but you don't know him. You don't know his story. But before you pass any judgment, I want you to realize that you just need to listen. And so I got up and told my story, and, and you could heard a pin drop. Mm. I had talked to a couple of people before, so they had a heads up, but most people didn't. And then at the end of all four services, I got down from the, the, up on the stage and sat next to Karen, who was on the front row. And Tim came up, and he, and he said... I want everybody to know that what this means to everybody here. We're going to take a little time. The music's going to play, and everybody's got some business to do. He said, everybody has a secret. And so you need to take this time to confess that secret to God, to one of your fellow believers. Maybe you need to go offer forgiveness to someone for their secret. Whatever you need to do, you need to do right now. Mm. And they started the music up, and every single service, then Karen and I were mobbed by. They had to play the song like five they had times. To keep playing. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was dehydrated after crying so much. But it was like the, that was the one time in my life I can truly state that I felt the unconditional love of God mm. through the people of Colonial. Yeah. Like I, there was, I've never, ever had that ever feeling ever again. And I, I feel blessed to have had that feeling, mm. and that's enough for me. Mm. But it's why Colonial is our family and will always be our family. Mm. No matter how hard times might get, it doesn't matter. 
because this is where I was born spiritually and I was reborn spiritually mm. again. And so, um, and ever since then, it's been, it continues to be an adventure and a journey. <laughs> but, um, but I always go back to that time and knowing that, um, I, <laughs> that, that day. It was funny too, because the individual who ran the recording for the tapes, <laughs> he said, he came up to me afterwards after the fourth sermon and he said, he goes, you know, I, I record these all four every week and we try to figure out which one's the best one to put out for the thing. He goes, because every one of them is a little different. The, ser- the pastor changes a little bit each time. He goes, yours was the exact same every single time. Hmm. And I go, I don't even know how that's possible because I didn't write anything down and I just talked. Yeah. But I'd said that, that to me meant I wasn't the one talking. I was... Mm. letting the story out and God was doing the talking. So, and that was Oh five, Oh five, May of 2005. So if I hear you right, Terry, we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording you, in some ways you've had a couple huge milestone moments, death to life experiences. First coming to know Christ in the first place, uh, moving from one option among many on a menu, uh, to him being king. And then later in life, 12, 13 years later, coming to grips with um, just falling, falling back into old habits and not living the way the Lord wants you to and, and even being controlled by something um, addicted and the Lord setting you free uh, from that. Another death to life experience. I'll put you on the spot. That was 05, 92-ish. Right and 05. 92 and 05, Yeah, it's twenty twenty one. What is what does death to life for you spiritually look like in twenty twenty one? What does it look like in the last few years? What is God breaking you of, or convicting you of, or growth never stops? Of course, what's this death to life experience look like for you now? Well, when I think about some of the other things that we've gone through, they're huge, like. Um, you know, I, I had to start my own business with the whole suspension thing. My, mm-hmm. my former clinic cut me loose. They basically, they played the, they played the odds. I mean, the likelihood of me staying sober was low. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't blame them for that. Mm. And so I had to start a new practice all by myself, and I'd never run a business before. Did it by myself and grew it up. But then it got to the point where it was so big, it was too big. And there was challenges. Mm. We were struggling, and, and we didn't know what was going to happen. But, you know, we always knew we had God. And, and he has seen a way through that for us. And now there's another, there's just now a new, just in the last three years, we made a huge change where we partnered with a local organization in town who happens to have a heart for the poor, like myself, that just, that we are in synchronicity over that. And mm. so now they get to pay all the bills and, and they get to want monitor all that. And I can just take care of people and mm. take care of kids and take care of families. And so it's, um, that's been a freeing thing, but I would never have been able to get through all that at every step of the way without um, this colonial family that God provided for me so long ago. Mm. Well, I so appreciate you. You've been real about your story with me. I, I don't probably the first time we had coffee, you told me a good chunk of the story. And um, I have said it before on stage. I've said it to many, many friends over the years. Um, my favorite people are people who have been broken. Um, there's something very different to me about doing life with people who have come to grips with their own depravity 
their own um, insufficiency apart from Christ. Uh, people who are willing to share. This is these are some of the choices I've made. This is what God's done to redeem and rescue and change. And so I appreciate that about you. Thanks for being willing to share. Karen, is there anything you want to add to watching your favorite person grow and heal? And I think it's just been an honor to see the change in him because he was, there was, there's been a huge difference. So mm. yeah, it's, it's all good. It's, mm. it's yeah. just well, proud. I don't blame you. And I hope that, I hope that people can watch. I mean, you guys are leading your group. have been doing that a long time. You're one of our deacons. You're, you know, serving at a moment's notice and meet so many needs in our community. And I'm not even talking about your professional efforts every day and night. I'm talking about even just here at the church. I hope people can see, oh, God can, God can redeem everything. Like, you could have lost your medical license. You could be one of our leaders here at the church, you know? Mm-hmm. You could be, you know, making widgets somewhere and, and really maybe even not doing what you dreamed about doing, and the Lord can still use us to help take care of the poor in Africa and yeah. um, do all kinds of things. So that's, I hope that's encouraging for people to watch in the Johnson story. Um, on that note, I do want to shift gears. I didn't do that purposely, but I like that little segue. I mentioned Africa. I want our folks today to hear as well about something I know is dear to both y'all. Um, and that's this ongoing ministry to the community in Nairobi, Kenya. And I'm going to stop talking because I can't describe it nearly as well as you. Tell us what started when, um, and, and, and then I want to I want to hear especially about your most recent trip. So give us give us the real short version of the history of this Jacaranda experience. Well, I'm going to let Karen start because okay. she definitely is the big part of the beginning. Yeah. Well, and actually, it started way way long ago. Real quick is that it, it, Africans Children's Choir came to Colonial mm-hmm. 22 years ago, and that night we both were at the different times decided that we were supposed to be doing something with Africa in missions, mm. but it took. 15 years to do that. I've been going to um, Africa since 2007. Okay. And with a different, um, with a different group. And one of my trips in 2012, um, the two ladies and I were sitting in a, in a hotel room. I mean, in, in the hotel lobby. And it was a Sunday morning and we were like, man, we want to go to church. And, um, and we were like, yeah, but we don't know where to go. And this lady walked in and she said, would you guys like to go to church? And we were like, yeah. And she says, okay, it's in the lobby. I mean, it's down in the basement of this, of this hotel, which we've stayed at this hotel for four years. So we've never known that there was a church there. Mm. And so we went out to the garden to have tea. And the first people that we met were the Johnsons from Texas. <laughs> and, then we, and then we did not meet the missionaries yet, um, but they were Brenda and Gary Keene um, from Canada, but they were the missionaries. And so then we went into service and... At the end of the service, Gary said, okay, our prayer requests are that we, we want to start a medical um, component, component to Jacaranda, and both of the late girls on each side of me were jabbing me. Shivers were going up and down my thing because, one, I had said we would never go to Nairobi because we've had some bad experiences there with prior to other stuff. So, and God was just like, nope, this is where you're supposed to be. And so we, I met with them this, that afternoon, and six months later, Terry and I came. Wow. That was yeah. our first trip, September yeah. of 2012. Right. We took a couple of church staff members at that time 
to go with us, and we were just going to ch- check Scout it out. Scout it out. Scout it out, see what it was like. Actually, when we, when we went, Brenda and Gary weren't in country at the time. They had come back to the States, so our initial experience was just with our African friends there, mm-hmm. and so, which was kind of cool. One of the things that we've always dreamed of about doing some sort of relief work over there is I've always been somewhat skeptical and, and cynical about some of the things that I see about how a lot of that's done where, oh, yeah, you drop in, you do something, and you leave, and you never go back. Mm-hmm. And, and I just didn't want to ever be a part of something like that. Mm-hmm. And can uh, I interject on, too, the, the, when I went to Africa the first time in 2007, that's pretty much what that was, mm. was they went in and... And the group just was like, we're going to just bring 5,000 people to Christ by showing the, the Passion of the Christ movie, and then they would leave. And for me, that left a very bad taste in my mouth because mm. that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to continue. It's like, well, who's going to disciple these people? Who's going mm. to do follow-up? And that wasn't that. So I, we definitely had a different opinion on mm. how we wanted to do our ministry. So we had never had an idea about how would we get into doing medical work in Africa mm-hmm. until this, you know, God thing dropped in our laps. And so we were going just to see how it would be. And very quickly in the first trip, we worked out a bunch of details. But our goal was, it wasn't just us going there. We were going there to partner with a team that was already there. There's a young lady named Sheila, who's a part of the whole Jock Around a Story, um, whose mother is the one that heads up the sewing stuff, and she's like a nurse practitioner. And then we encountered a young man who followed us along. He followed us around that first trip. He was a med student. Mm. Now we call him Dr. Silas because he's been on every single trip we've ever been. And, oh, wow. and he went through medical school. And he yeah, finished medical yeah. school, and he's, now he's in practice. How cool. And every time we go, even though he's not even part of Jacaranda right now, when I contacted him with our last trip this last time in February, he's our there. 14th trip, I said, are you going to be available? He goes, I was there with the first one, and I will always be available for you, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Terry. Dr. Silas. He's amazing. He's a, just, a, just a wonderful young man. And so, um, so we've gone and, and we've sort of d- developed this ministry with their partnership and just ideas that we've had. And so we've, it's grown up ever since then. So we go, we, we take teams with us, but we tell everybody who goes, um, you're paying your own way. It's about 2,500 bucks. That includes your airfare and your food and lodging in country and travel in country. You bring any other money, it's for buying souvenirs for your friends and family. Mm -hmm. And we also want you to raise money to buy medicine Mm. uh, because we get donations of medicine here that are cheaper here. Things like over-the-counter Zyrtec, Zyrtec, Claritin, Tylenol, Motrin, Pepsid, medicines that we get over here for pennies on the pill. And then we take donations of cash and and donations of money to to buy medicine over there because we can buy antibiotics and vitamins for kids and deworming medicine on pennies on the dollar compared to America. Mm. And back to the money part of that too, I think one of the reasons why we do, why our hearts are so there in Africa, and I've been asked this before, why do you guys do that there and not here, which of course we do stuff here, but in Africa they don't have a, they don't have a choice. They don't have they, don't, they can't get Medicaid anywhere. They can't get food stamps. They can't get help from the government. There's nobody that helps them. Mm. And so if they're going to choose between buying, you know, a, a sack of rice or a 25-cent bottle of Benaworm to cure their, their worms, they're going to do the rice because they need to feed their family. Mm. So they don't have – so that's one of our biggest reasons why we do what we do over mm. there. 
Yeah, the average income is $2 a month for a household in the slums of Africa. Incredible. And so we think we're poor. We yeah. think we, I thought I was poor growing right. up, but at least I got to eat and I didn't have to worry about worms. Um, and so we, that was always our passion. And so being able to, being able to do that has been a, a blessing for us. Every time we go, they're like, I mean, we work ourselves to death for that week, but mm. it's always energizing when we come back because, and we go to see the same people over and over again, the same children, because we go to schools and churches. You watch we see kids the same grow up. Kids. I do. You watch Silas become a doctor. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. It's, it's funny too, I just saw something came up on my time born. hop today, a painting that Shannon Spruill had done of me. She was supposed to paint in college a, a, a picture of somebody doing something they love. And she had a picture of me and this one young lady that was at their our first trip. She was seven years old at the time. I just saw her at the last trip a year and a half ago. And I didn't think I was going to see her because we were going to the same school, but it was a different place in a different way. And I thought she's going to slip through and I'm not going to see her. But I did. I saw her. I was so excited. Mm. She was not excited. She was a teenager. She's 13. <laughs> <laughs> so just so you know, 13-year-old that's, girls are the same the world fantastic. over. I was excited. And she was like, eh, whatever. So, but, but I've been able to, we've had these relationships <laughs> and more importantly, and this is my favorite part, it's still going on even when we're not there. Yeah. In this last year, during the pandemic, mm. for whatever reason God provided, they actually now have a freestanding permanent clinic site in one of the slums in Africa, which is a miracle to do that during the pandemic. And so they're having clinic every day now, even when we're not there. Wow. And they still do some occasional going outreach stuff, but they save that for when we come mostly. Mm. But they have an ongoing presence. And that's what we always dreamed would be not, oh, well, when the Johnsons come, no, it's not about us. And it's not about that one shot deal. It's an ongoing presence. Mm. And so we're very blessed to be a part of that. So with that being said, you mentioned 14 trips. You both went recently, Mm -hmm. felt convicted even during the pandemic. Um, I mean, you you guys are, you're, you're a medical professional, Terry, and you know what's going on with the virus. And yet you decided, I think the Lord wants us to go back over there. You didn't take a group this time, correct? No. And that was the reason because we weren't certain what it was going to be like over there or what we could do. Yeah. What was interesting is that even though it was just the two of us, that we were still able, we had Sheila and Dr. Silas. So a team is always three or more providers. Uh-huh. And so we could still run clinics and we did, um, not to the great degree that we did before, just because we kind of kept it low yeah. key. But we figured out that we could still do it, and we can still do it even with the pandemic. We don't. We on. just we figured that you know there's going to be some changes. Like there are some places that we would just go into the deepest, the one of the worst slums, and but we'd be carrying all of our medicines and stuff. And we don't feel like that's probably one thing that we're going to do with our team the next time because of the danger and mm. just. But we found out that we can do the other stuff, and we don't have to do that too. We mm. can go to other places and. We went to a different orphanage, and it was just, we had a great experience this, mm. this yeah, past time. just seeing these families. Yeah. So what do you think is next? Well, they're closed down. Two weeks after we left, they closed down again. They shut down again. They shut down they, the borders. They so. as in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, as a matter of fact, because unlike us, you know, like, I, I think the latest statistic is as of today, 19% of Wichita Falls is vaccinated. And I think the number is they about mid-20s medicine, for yeah. Texas. They still don't have the vaccine. Mm. Um, they, when we were there, they were supposedly getting it, Dr. Silas told us, but it still never happened. Mm. And so, and as much as we worry in our country that, oh, the government's using the pandemic to control us. I mean, you've heard those conspiracy theorists. That's probably is happening over there. More importantly, because their government can be so corrupt, 
it's notorious that a lot of the money and stuff that's being funneled to the government to help the people isn't getting to the people. Mm. And so there's getting a lot of violence that started up because yeah. people are just getting sick and tired. So safe to say, very much a big question mark about what's next. We know that we can continue to provide support to our clinic that's there. Okay. And we actually you know, have some regular monthly support we provide to some of the people that are there for that reason mm -hmm. so that we always have an ongoing presence. We'll probably do a better job with some donations in the meantime. We had initially planned we might go in October, but now we're really rethinking that, and maybe we're going to have to push that back to February. I see. And then, you know, this last time we went, because we were only doing two of us, one of the disadvantages to only going with two, when you take supplies over, you get two suitcases, okay? <laughs> 50 pounds each. Well, when you have eight people, woohoo, that's, a, that's yeah. a ton of stuff. When you take two people, <laughs> um, so we had to limit it. You, you, people will know that we've many times have solicited donations of medicine directly here at the church to take with us, and we didn't do that this time specifically for that reason. Because you just couldn't care at all. We just right. knew we couldn't. Yeah. So and we, people still donated stuff to us, yeah. and we still took some, but we knew we were going to be very limited. So, but the next time. I hope you've been encouraged the way, I know, I know it's kind of ebbed and flowed the way Colonial's been a part of it with you. Um, I hope you've been encouraged the last few years at how we have been, tried to be more proactive. Not, I wouldn't even say partnering with you, just fanning the flame of what y'all are doing and cheering you on. And um, I think one of the most impactful things for me in my early story of owning my own faith was a, a classic Bible study called Experiencing God. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of people yeah. have done it. I yep. think, I think it started like in the nineties or something. It so did. it may have been around right around when you were a new believer. Mm -hmm. uh, and the whole premise is quit trying to figure out exactly what God wants you to do. Look around, see what God's already doing and jump on the bus. And so for me, that's part of the fun from my vantage point is, oh, look what God's doing in Nairobi, Kenya, through the Johnsons, through Sheila, through Dr. Silas, through these other folks. Why do we need to recreate the wheel? How do we get to be a part of that? How do we support? How do we bless? I want to talk trash. I have no idea pragmatically how I can go and take spend that kind of money when I'm about to send my first off to Oklahoma State and three more behind them. And, and all at the same time, I want to go tomorrow. I want to go and see what God's doing through y'all and through the church. And so thanks for sharing on all levels with us. Let me, let me wrap us up with this then guys. Um, how can we as a church and everybody listening, how can we be praying for Karen and Terry Johnson? We will tell you right away. Don't pray for us. because <laughs> We unfortunately both have this very bad habit of wanting to help other people and not wanting anybody to help us. So it's a it's well, a, something putting, we have to I'm, get over. I'm putting you on spot. You've got to get over it. How can we pray for you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to continue to humbly be a part of Colonial, mm. do what we do, and just continue to to have people be a part of our family. Mm. I mean, we had we just it's it's an honor, and and people come into your life for a for a season or reason or a lifetime. And we're, we like to appreciate all of those with our family here at Colonial. Mm. And so just being a part of that is, is an honor for us. And so being allowed to continue to do I that. I think the great. prayer too is be, I've, not only for us, but for everybody is just not, and that's I probably specifically for me is not being bogged down with the world. Mm. You know, just do what we're supposed, just put your, do what you're supposed to do. Mm. And don't worry about a lot of the other stuff that really doesn't. 
There's a lot of craziness now. There is. Distractions. And yeah. There's certainly a lot of polarization yeah. amongst our So friends, what can I do to do the next right thing? Yeah. Yeah. Just keep doing that. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to thank share you. with us. Thanks for being a part of Colonial. Thanks for letting uh, me be a part of y'all's. I don't think you have a choice with us being a part of Colonial. <laughs> <laughs> We've made it quite clear. I don't think you've ever clear. kicked anybody out yet. I like it. I like, I like the way y'all see it as family <laughs> and the commitment y'all have. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming today. Thank, thank you. you. You've been listening to the E6 podcast from Colonial Church. For more information about Colonial, please visit colonialchurch.com or download our app from the App Store or the Google Play Store. You can send us your thoughts, your feedback, and questions to our email, podcast at colonialchurch.com. And please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll pick up the conversation again next week.